Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Howdy folks, and welcome to Perfection. Yes, both this episode and the fictional town from today's topic, Tremors. That's right, we're fitting to worm our way through this science fiction classic with a look at the facts behind the movie, as well as an awesome interview with this week's guest, Hannah S.K. We met up at my father's place in southeast Portland to get into it about Tremors and why it's actually a decent movie. But before we dig any further, you know I have to issue out a county-wide... Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! for perfection and the surrounding areas. If you're not on the up and up on Tremors, then I reckon now would be a good time to gain some high ground and grab your nearest elephant gun because I'm about to saddle up into a synopsis of the movie and then dive right into some facts. Tremors is a 1990 American Western-themed monster horror comedy film directed by Ron Underwood, produced by Brent Maddock and S.S. Wilson, and written by Maddock, Wilson, and Underwood collectively. Tremors was released by Universal Pictures and stars Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward, Finn Carter, Michael Gross, and Reba McIntyre. In the film, handyman Val McKee and Earl Bassett try to skip the small desert town of Perfection, Nevada, tired of their dull lives. However, they happen upon a series of mysterious deaths and a concerned seismologist named Rhonda studying unnatural readings below the ground. With the help of eccentric survivalist couple Bert and Heather Gummer, the group fights for survival against giant prehistoric worm-like monsters hungry for human flesh. The film is the first installment of the Tremors franchise and was followed by five direct-to-video sequels and one prequel. Those include Tremors 2 Aftershocks in 1996, Tremors 3 Back to Perfection in 2001, Tremors 4 The Legend Begins in 2004, Tremors 5 Bloodlines in 2015, Tremors A Cold Day in Hell from 2018, and Tremors Shrieker Island in 2020. A television series titled Tremors the Series aired from March through August of 2003. A second television series was set to air in 2018 after a pilot had been shot with Bacon reprising his role for the first time since the original film, but multiple networks, including sci-fi, passed on the series. They figured it was time to stop beating a dead worm. Alright, time to shake up some facts behind the production and development of the movie. Again, we're just covering the original Tremors film. Writers S.S. Wilson and Brent Maddock got the idea for Tremors when they were working for the U.S. Navy making safety instruction videos. Originally, the idea was for a movie about land sharks, but when they brought director Ron Underwood in, which this was his first feature film, by the way, he helped them refine the idea to be slightly more realistic. Just slightly. After Land Sharks, the script was titled Beneath Perfection before finally being changed to Tremors. 
Speaking of those land sharks, they settled on worms of unknown origins, aptly named graboids, for their grabby tentacles that have a habit of ruining your day should you encounter one. Special effects company Amalgamated Dynamics created the graboids, and two years later, the company won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects for their work on Death Becomes Her from 1992, another horror comedy. Another fun fact about Amalgamated Dynamics is that the first film they ever worked on is another box office flop that became a cult classic, Teen Witch from 1989. The Graboids are very reminiscent of the Sandworms in Dune from 1984. Both are giant worms living underground in the desert, both having large mouths on the end, and both respond to vibrations on the surface. Also, both films have the characters escaping the worms by way of retreating to the safety of rocks. Key difference between the two? We all know that Dune is the best desert-based sci-fi, hands down. Tremors was Reba McIntyre's first acting role. Director Ron Underwood didn't want to cast a singer, but Reba's audition gave Underwood the opinion that she was a natural actor. Reba was nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actress for her role as Heather Gummer. Reba's song Why Not Tonight plays during the closing credits. This song is from her 12th studio album, What Am I Gonna Do About You, released on October 6, 1986, and that song goes a little bit like this. That's the good stuff. You might recognize Ariana Richards from other adventure survivor roles. She was the girl on the pogo stick that narrowly escapes. Uh, but in 1993, with Jurassic Park, she plays Lex Murphy, John Hammond's granddaughter. Though they're never mentioned or appear, it is thought that Melvin's parents spend most of their time in Las Vegas and left him behind, which is understandable because he is a little jerk. The box office performance of Trevor's was underwhelming. It opened at number 5 and then fell to number 6 pretty quickly the following week. However, Tremors has since become a cult classic and VHS sales and rentals were three times that what the box office brought in. Kevin Bacon originally resented being in Tremors, only agreeing to do it because he needed money for his new marriage and upcoming newborn child. When the film was not financially successful, Bacon feared his career was over, and in following years would refuse to acknowledge the film's existence and even called it, quote, the worst thing I ever did. However, Bacon would eventually come around to Tremors, calling the filming process the single most fun time I've ever had making a movie in my entire career. Later admitting at a 2020 interview, quote, When I was making Tremors, I was very depressed and at a low point in my life, and I kind of blamed Tremors for all that. I was bitter against it. I thought it was a career killer. I never watch my movies more than once, and some of my movies I've never even seen before and have no desire to, but I've watched Tremors a dozen times. I love it so much, and I spent years trying to capture the same energy we had on the set of Tremors. It's one of my favorite films of all time. A unique feature of Tremors is that production had only two inside settings for the entire movie, the store and Bert and Heather's basement armory. The rest of the film takes place in the open desert. Michael Gross was the only star to show up at the 30th anniversary celebration of Tremors, which took place from January 18th to the 19th of 2020 in Lone Pine, California, where the film was shot on location. Speaking of Bert, remember that scene where he gives Melvin an empty revolver during a critical part of the Draboid attack? Yet, Bert still checks to see that the gun is unloaded upon its return. That's because he follows firearm safety rules, like a true American. 
Composer Robert Folk was brought in at the very last minute to rescore the film. This was due to the original score by credited composer Ernest Trost was lacking the punch that it needed for the film musically. Approximately 30 minutes or more was written by Folk and strangely goes uncredited in the film's credits. Oddly enough, both scores are used in the film. Trost's score is more westerny and country-like with the usage of guitars and harmonicas and is mostly used in softer moments, whereas Folk's score is more epic and uses more trumpets, violins, and big instruments, and is used more closer to the climax and in more intense moments. In the original script, there's an opening scene showing more of Edgar Deems and Old Fred. In it, the two are shown as close friends who meet up to trade livestock, but Deems' prized donkey is eaten by a graboid, setting up why Edgar climbed the electrical tower in the first place. This scene was actually filmed, but the studio thought it was too boring, and the filmmakers thought it revealed the mystery of the Graboids too soon, which, in retrospect, I agree, retains the mystery angle. They do touch on it later in the film as the Graboids reveal themselves. You know, I will say that after watching the trailers of the other six movies and the series, I might be working those into the watch list. They do have a little bit of a Sharknado vibe, but I'm a sucker for good monsters, which is why I'll be covering the movie Evolution as well in Season 2. That movie definitely comes to mind when thinking of Tremors. Now, you know we can't go a single second further without getting into the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, or Bacon's Law, which is a parlor game where players challenge each other to arbitrarily choose an actor and then connect them to another actor via a film that both actors have appeared in together, repeating this process to try to find the shortest path that ultimately leads to prolific American actor Kevin Bacon. It rests on the assumption that anyone involved in the Hollywood film industry can be linked through their film roles to Bacon within six steps. The game's name is a reference to Six Degrees of Separation, a concept that posits that any two people on Earth are six or fewer acquaintance links apart. In a January 1994 interview with Premiere Magazine, Kevin Bacon mentioned while discussing the film The River Wild that he had worked with everybody in Hollywood, or someone who's worked with them. Following this, a lengthy newsgroup thread which was headed Kevin Bacon is the center of the universe appeared. In 1994, three Albright college students, Craig Foss, Brian Turtle, and Mike Janelli, invented the game that became known as Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, after seeing two movies on television that featured Bacon back-to-back, Footloose and The Air Up There. During the latter film, they began to speculate on how many movies Bacon had been in and the number of people with whom he had worked. They wrote a letter to talk show host Jon Stewart telling him that, quote, Kevin Bacon was the center of the entertainment universe, explaining the game. They appeared on the Jon Stewart show and the Howard Stern show with Bacon to explain the game. Bacon admitted that he initially disliked the game because he believed it was ridiculing him, but he eventually came to enjoy it. The three inventors released a book, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, with an introduction written by Bacon himself. A board game based on the concept was also released by Endless Games. In 2007, Bacon started a charitable organization called SixDegrees.org. In 2020, Bacon started a podcast called The Last Degree of Kevin Bacon. Now here's how it all works out. The Bacon number of an actor is the number of degrees of separation he or she or they has from Bacon as defined by the game. This is an application of the Erdős number concept to the Hollywood movie industry. The higher the Bacon number, the greater the separation from Kevin Bacon the actor is. The computation of a Bacon number for actor X is, quote, shortest path algorithm applied to the co-stardom network. Kevin Bacon himself has a Bacon number of zero, of course. Those actors who have worked directly with Kevin Bacon have a Bacon number of 1. If the lowest Bacon number of any actor with whom X has appeared in any movie is N, X's Bacon number is N plus 1. For example, Elvis Presley was in Change of Habit in 1969 with Ed Asner. Ed Asner was in JFK in 1991 with Kevin Bacon. Therefore, Asner has a Bacon number of 1, and Presley, who never appeared in a film with Bacon, has a Bacon number of 2. Now, I did just mention a mathematical concept that may be foreign to you. That was the Erdős number, which describes the collaborative distance between mathematician Paul Erdős and another person, as measured by authorship of mathematical papers. The same principle has been applied in other fields where a particular individual has collaborated with a large or broad number of peers, hence the application toward Kevin Bacon and the entertainment industry. If you wanted to compute your Erdős number... You could visit the Oakland University website, uh, however, unless you've co-authored a research collaboration, you are likely not to generate a result. 
probably best that we stick to six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Sounds more fun anyway. Oh, no. That's gotta be the ground-shaking interview I had with Hannah before the weekly comedy open mic at my father's place in southeast Portland, hosted by Michael Phelps and regularly attended by Jeffrey Epstein. I'm stoked to announce that The Book Report, which I co-host with Noah Linsk, is now being sponsored by the My Father's Place Comedy Open Mic and Father's Favorite Showcase. We will be recording all future episodes on location before the mic, so do yourself a favor and head on down there for the best dang breakfast foods in the city, great drink specials and service, as well as getting to hear the funniest comedians Portland has to offer working out their newest material on you, the audience. And I'm not just saying all that because this is a paid promo. Because it's very much unpaid. Just to keep me honest. Yeah, that that's why. At any rate, you can now check out the book report on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For Chapter 2, we just reviewed The Illustrated Man by Ray Bradbury, which was a great read. Chapter 3 dives into Stranger in a Strange Land by Robert A. Heinlein. That episode drops in early August. So if you're a bookworm, then this sub-podcast is definitely for you. Now that we're fully buried in the sands that was that plug, and seeing as we have nowhere to go but down, let's listen to this awesome interview already. Hi, Hannah. Hey, Reese. <laughs> What's up? This is a great genuine over. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. We're fucking, we're in here. Yeah, we street. are here. We are on the streets uh, in Portland, Oregon. We're sat outside of my father's place. We're about to do this uh, weekly open mic here, which I'm stoked on. Definitely uh, love my father's place. Some of the best breakfast food in Portland. Yeah. I might even get some breakfast for dinner. But for me, it's breakfast because now I work in graveyard. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I think this is my favorite mic in town, honestly. Yeah? Because it's like, you get actual patrons in here. That's so true, yeah. Like, it's not just comics, which is nice. Like, you'll get random actual people coming in there. Yeah, and they stay. You're not great at bringing them in, though. I've seen you stand <laughs> out here and uh, <laughs> try to sell people on it. I try. I, I mean, think you know what? I'm planning on going in here, turn around, actually, when you try to start selling them on it. That has definitely happened. Uh, but I, I think I've brought at least a couple of people in. They, they'll look and see and then realize what's going on and then leave. <laughs> <laughs> As they should. As they should. As they should. Well, folks, the voice other than mine, you're listening to Hannah SK. SK. I like how you said it, like. Like, it's one word, not two letters, but kind of SK. Well, what it, what does the SK stand for? I was engaged for a period of time, and I was going to take on my last name and their last name. Okay. And so, then, really, there's a hyphen in there. Yeah, but I made it, like, a social media name. Okay. And then I started comedy, like, around the same time, and so it just sounded way cooler than, like, my actual last name. So okay. I just, I just kept it, and I'm on good terms with my ex, so, like, whatever. Okay, right on. Well, yeah. that's that's cool. I like it. Um, speaking of social media, what's your Instagram? Uh, Hannah SK for real. Yeah, because there's a lot of imposters out there, apparently. Right on. And I gotta, I gotta differentiate from, you know. Yeah, and you're also on Twitch? Yeah, I do Twitch. That's uh, Hannah underscore SK underscore. Nice. Gotta TikTok, get those underscores Hannah up in Vision there. SK. I, I like Hannah Vision. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Tight. I'm actually making like a Photoshop of like the WandaVision okay. thing with me and my partner that we do the stuff with, and I'm gonna... You know, test my skills out there. Neat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's always a fun time. I do all the photoshopping for the uh, covers for each episode. Oh, you make so, the... Yeah, I do oh, that. Oh, okay. That's yeah, impressive. Yeah. All right. I taught Photoshop in South Florida for some years, and we both go to... Well, I I went to PCC. You're at PCC. Currently go Panthers. PCC, yeah. I, you, you basically taught me today what the, what the mascot was. I really had... Yeah. Notice that, yeah. Well, you've just been laser focused on that degree. Oh yeah, that's that's why they're like financial aid. It doesn't take five years to get an associate's degree. Like, what are you what are you doing? It can, <laughs> if you're Van Wilder. I mean, I'm proving um, it right now. <laughs> yes, that's true. Speaking of being laser focused, we are focusing on Tremors today. Fucking which... masterpiece of a movie. Sure. Which okay, <laughs> that's off the top address what what you you said it was a, it was a cheesy horror film because. No, I said it was deliciously bad. It, okay, I only say that because of the uh, the practical effects are so cheesy. Yeah, but they're so that's as far as I'm concerned, that's like the golden era of like effects, though. Like around the time of like that's, Jurassic that's Park, like yep, like real true. life raptors and T Rexes look so much fucking better than these CGI fucking bullshit things. 
I agree. I agree. And, you know, they relied heavily on CGI in the later Tremor movies, of which there are seven. Which... Uh, not to mention the actual television series from 2003. Jesus Christ. Um, I, I haven't seen any of those. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't blame you for yeah. not taking the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Yeah, no. It's... And honestly, it's not, you know, as far as Tremors goes, it's not even, like, the premise that I, I love so much about, like, why that movie has such great rewatchability to me. Like, I love the premise, but actually, isn't, like, the second film, like, like they're, like, above ground and, like, almost, like, immediately crushes, like, the purpose of, like, the Tremors concept? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it, for having to do a lot with underground, there's not a lot of underground yeah. stuff. But I think that has to do with, like, it's difficult to film underground or in a mine or something like that. But it's also perfect for a low-budget film, because if you don't have to see whatever's attacking you most of the time, like, it's kind it's of a genius, genius move. It's true. That's true. So, let me ask you this. What was your first exposure to science fiction? It wasn't Tremors. No. Right. Um, I don't have, like, a really specific... I mean, it was probably, like, Star Wars. Okay. Like, I think my, my family was really into Star Wars, so sure. I watched those films early. And, yeah, that's a, uh, that's a pretty common response. I, I would say Star Wars is a is pretty ubiquitous in that respect. Like when I think sci-fi, sure. I immediately go to Star Wars. Like that feels like the epitome of like sci-fi in my mind. Sure. Well, and, and I I mean I don't mean to put you on blast, but when we were talking on the way here, you hadn't seen any Star Trek. I have never seen Star Trek. No. Well, folks, I I mean, <laughs> don't don't attack her in public it's it'll be okay she'll watch some star trek eventually i'm not against it i think the whole culture like behind star trek as far as like being uh you know not plugged into it has always been you know like i watched that movie like fanboys and it's sure. like all the star wars fans like want to kill the trekkies or whatever right it's like yeah that's I'm right i'm just like well maybe i don't ever need to watch it but i've honestly <laughs> i've heard a lot of good things about it i'm like i might at some point need to check it out it's definitely i think it's worth it I think it's worth it. I, well, mean, I know you think you got a bumper sticker yeah, and everything. Well, yeah, I got three. Yeah. Um, and what about when was the first time you saw Tremors? Okay, my introduction to Tremors, I think, is actually kind of interesting because, like, I remember seeing Tremors, like, you know, like when like AMC, like around like Halloween, like they'll play like their list of like horror movies or whatever. Sure. And I actually like really had like an issue with Tremors. So I was like, this doesn't feel like a Halloween movie to me because it's like really bright colors and it kind of contrasts like most of what you would think of for like Halloween kind of themed shit. And so I would see it all the time, like, in that season. I was like, this doesn't feel like it. And so, like, but I always liked it. And then I realized, I was like, I can probably watch this not at Halloween time because it's not even really a Halloween... Because I don't like to watch Halloween movies, like, outside of, like, the season, I guess. Sure. And, yeah, it's um, not like you're watching Hocus Pocus in February. Right, or you're, like, watching witches and stuff. Right. So, like, yeah, I ended up being like, I kind of want to see that again, like, recently, like, like, a year or two ago. And I watched it and, like... Yeah, I fucking... I was like, I didn't know I loved this movie. And I ended up, like, watching it a couple of times. I ended up buying the fucking thing. And honestly, it's a comfort movie for me now. Like, I put it on to go to bed sometimes. It kind of has a Disney feel-good vibe to it. It does. Like, the for, vibes for, are for super For being good. so violent and having, like, a, <laughs> like a huge shootout scene, like, with the... the, the uh, Bert in the or whatever his name is in the in the bunker. Oh yeah, that scene's classic. Yeah, for sure. And the way they and they oh that's the kind of shit that I like as far as it being a masterpiece movie because like that whole fucking scene you don't see the wall. Right. It's just simple like cinematic move, but like you don't see the wall and you're like oh no they're fucked and you turn around and see the biggest wall of guns you've ever fucking seen yeah. and they're just <laughs> unloading. <laughs> that elephant gun is a fucker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that thing is ridiculous, but even then, and it's true, I mean, you know, like, that, it is kind of a difficult enemy, the worm. Right, and they had a good point, too. They're like, even this fucking super strong gun can't shoot, can't through, shoot the through the ground. Dirt, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it just has stoppage. Yeah. yeah. At any given moment, the theory is that we're no more than six degrees away from Kevin Bacon. <laughs> How many degrees at this moment are we away from Kevin Bacon? Mm, I, don't know. I lived in Houston for a while. And okay. it didn't, um, Houston is in Texas. I don't Texas think I is reached. where JFK was killed. Kevin Bacon was in JFK. That's four degrees. Well, did Kevin Bacon and uh, Woody Harrelson ever do anything together? I, don't, I can't say off of the top of my head. Supposedly my dad ran track with Woody Harrelson in high school. Okay. So that would be... Woody Harrelson starred with Kiefer Sutherland in The Cowboy Way, and Bacon starred with Sutherland in Flatliners. Okay. So, I mean, I guess that's three degrees. But at any rate, for whatever reason, everything seems to lead back to Kevin Bacon. I just... 
I don't think he's a good actor. <laughs> I just don't. I think he's one of those examples of like a bad actor. I, he was all right in JFK. He reminds me kind of of uh, Nicolas Cage, where you're sure. like sometimes confused about whether or not they're being a good actor or not. Sure. Like they're either like a master or just right. Like, is in. National Treasure a good movie? Like, I, I mean, I think that Nick Cage does a good job in that role. I couldn't see anybody else playing that role, but sometimes. The way that he delivers lines yeah, just drives corny. me nuts. It's, you know, yeah. So out of Tremors, who's your favorite character? Okay, so the reason I love the movie is Val and Earl have, like, one of the best chemistries, like, I've ever seen in a movie. Outside of Brokeback Mountain? Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Which they did a good job. At the very beginning, they, they established within the first few minutes, they're like, yeah, these two guys are doing their thing, but there's a girl in the movie. And they're about that girl. Give a reason for why neither of you know why both of them are out in the middle of nowhere. Well, at least, right? least Val is. Yeah, and the, but then Earl's like, you know, oh, like like girls are too prissy for like my cowboy life. Like, true. I don't know if it's great, but I can't choose between the two of them, so I'm gonna have to say Reba. Okay. Because Reba's fucking killer in that movie. Like low key, like she's not a huge part in it, but like I love Reba in that movie. Bert's wife. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's like one of her first roles. I'm trying. I don't know if like that's when she was like being an actor or maybe that was like one of her first like roles of like because she was doing music first he- right Heather Heather yeah yeah, yeah Bert, Heather's Bert and it. Heather okay. yeah Bird and Heather it's you know it was made in 1990 okay which is still basically the 80s right like the 90s weren't the 90s until I would say like 1992 1993 I mean I've been calling it an 80s film so like yeah I guess technically that's, that's totally that, understandable yeah. is there a character that you identify with the most is it Heather no, it's definitely Melvin. Melvin? That's <laughs> so oh. fucking annoying. Oh, no, I hate Melvin. That's, I know. That's, so my, like... that's the next, like, who's your least favorite character? <laughs> For me, it's Melvin. I fucking hate that kid. I wish he would have gotten got. I, he had to survive, but yeah. definitely I, I feel he... like I have the traits of someone who, like, would be playing poorly timed jokes in a situation like that. Oh, the jokes I thought were funny, but it was I, I, it was such an obvious metaphor for the kid who cries wolf. Oh yeah. 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 I, I, so I was just like, all right, I see, I, I see the writing on the wall. They were gonna here. kill the kid though. Should have. In the nineties, they should have killed were, that were kid. They, you know, or whatever. You know, tons 90. of kids. Tons of kids were getting killed in the nineties. Were they though? Like, like you know, like would a kid get killed in Jaws? Oh Jesus Christ! Kids did get killed in Jaws. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. teenage. Well, they were teenagers, wasn't oh, yeah. it? Yeah. No, but the little kids never got killed. In that no, movie. no, little kids. Yeah, little kids rarely get killed. He was like on the cut. He was like a preteen though, so he was like barely like he was little looking, but he had the attitude of like a shitty teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why. That's why I got fucking killed. That's why I got eaten by a shark like an asshole. <laughs> um, all right. Well, for the record, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> If you're if you're Melvin, I hate you. I, I right. you know I didn't choose this life. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I mean it is a little bit of comic relief, for sure. But the whole movie for me is comic relief because it's so. I almost call I would almost call it a slapstick. If it it's fe- nuts because like it, it feels it, the that angles, way to me. The angles are realistic in how they approach it, though. Like I, I feel like even like in the sense of like you were talking about the elephant gun, like. Every time something happens, they have to come up like they're the there was some learned, sort of legit and they have to there. figure okay. something out. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. All right, I am shitting on this movie a little too hard. I, hey, I mean, I've seriously, I, I I know this movie front and back. I will try to debunk everything you say because this movie. What do you do? You have it on Laserdisc? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had it on VHS. I used to have a pretty sick VHS collection, actually. But yeah. So your favorite character is Melvin. I'm assuming that's who you identify with the most. That's no, no. What... my favorite character was Reba. Oh, okay, you're yeah, okay. Yeah, you're... Yeah. Yes. I identify right. with Melvin. Okay, very good. All right, that's good at least. <laughs> I think Reba's favorite. My favorite line that she does in that movie is when Bert, like at the end, he's like, "If we're gonna fucking die, I'm just gonna light this fucking uh, bomb. And I'm just gonna walk out there and let him take me." And, like, it's a pause, and she just goes. Jesus. <laughs> like, like was, even that's a little too extreme. Yeah, for me. Like, like, she was yeah. like, Jesus Christ, like, what the fuck? That's funny. I, I love that, like, the reason why they moved there, like, we like geographic isolation. And it's like, is the whole reason why they're fucked? It was a good fucked? plot like, point, though, right? Like, that yeah. was their way of saying, like, no one's coming to help us and we're not going to be able to get out of here. And to be honest, I mean, okay, the more I think about it, actually, the seismographer is out there and there's an animal that works on vibrations i mean like you know it's it's hanging out and realizes like even when people are talking like because we are creating 
minute vibrations in the ground. It's, I mean, okay, it is plausible for a subterranean, and it would be a, a some sort of tunneling animal. But why is a seismograph person out there? And I think she's just a college student during doing like a dissertation or something. Right, but like, why there? That doesn't seem like a seismically interesting spot per se. Maybe like they maybe have they like got rotating some, think, students got, out there well, too. Okay, well, uh, um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that they went too far into that <laughs> as they shouldn't have yeah i mean there has to it, look <laughs> you have to keep some things vague like the main plot points i don't know <laughs> look if you want to call this movie a cheese movie though yeah. like the thing one of the things i love about this movie is that unlike a lot of cheesy movies where they just kind of like create plot points that don't make any sense and kind of like insert it in there mm-hmm. like this movie does a really great job of like playing in all of the things in a natural sense like it plays in plot points that come in like you said like there's a seismograph person there's like the the militant people there's Val and Earl that are like handyman you know um, that can do all this shit you know there's the shopkeep like everyone has like a role and the things very very succinctly like ease into like the plot points that happen. Like, I think this is really well. It's it's pretty basic, but I think it does it really well. Yes. Also, R.I.P. Walter. Oh yeah. Poor Walter. Yeah, that was rough. Yeah. <laughs> Might have been the only kill scene that that got me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, because Walter was definitely drop a tear. Yeah. He's, yeah, yeah, he's a sweetheart. Yeah, he's a sweetheart character. So, what what is your favorite scene? Slash, like, really, what I'm asking is, which worm kill was your favorite? Maybe. And this is the one part of the movie that I think was like a little like, all right, that's a little too cheesy. Was the car scene when, yeah. when the when the, when they, the the tremors ate the yeah that couple the who's whole building their, wagon yeah, or the whole, whatever. Yeah. I thought it, all of that was good. I thought it was, like, was great. That's probably you know like those old guys like let's check it out. Even though it's dangerous, the wife's like no, don't do it. That kill made sense to me. That was kind of brutal. How he got like sucked to the ground. But when she gets in the car and just like stays in the car long enough for them to like pull the whole thing down. That was a little much for me. Well, she didn't have the keys. She couldn't find the keys. That's that's why she was like, oh, crap. But she could have gotten out. Like, she's in the front seat. The car went in. Oh, true. Yeah, first. okay. It Fair. was like, she had, I got to imagine, at least a decent. But I mean, I guess maybe well, she that's didn't easy. Wanna, that's like, easy for out. you to say, sitting from the couch. I'm not getting, fu- I, I would get eaten by that thing before I get sucked in, in the car. That sounds like a way more brutal fucking death to be in a car. Oh, yeah. I don't know that I'd be stoked on that either. I mean, at least, like, when you drive into a river, you drown eventually. <laughs> and you're not getting crushed to death, like, underground. I mean, you'd be drowning in dirt the way that, like, they were showing the, the, right. the windows. Right, yeah. Yeah, so. Oof, gnarly. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how much I'd be into that, or quicksand, or... Yeah. Quicksand yeah, seems like a super bummer, right? Fucking drowning. Yeah. Ugh. At least drowning the water, like, goes fast, I imagine. You're kind of out of there. Well, either either way, you're you're being deprived of oxygen. So, like, does your lung, do your lungs fill with water, or do they fill with fucking liquid sand? I mean, that... I feel like water would be a quicker death, though. I sure. guess, more so than just, like, kind of... Well, I don't, I don't know, actually. I heard that drowning's pretty euphoric. I've actually heard that, too. And I'm claustrophobic, so, like, quicksand, getting buried in that shit, like... I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be... Well, I, I want that Joe Rogan experience that he's been that he's been promising us. You know, like when you die, the pineal gland just fucking releases a huge dab of DMT. Is that what his newest uh, pyramid scheme is? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, who's your least favorite character? Um, besides the worms. Well, so so there, I mean, those are different questions. Like, who do you hate the most versus who's your least favorite? Because they can they can mean different things. Maybe like the the artist mom who's like trying to get them to stay and then she kind of right. has a little snarky kind of quip that Reba has to like shut her down for there is the <laughs> one guy I can't remember his name the guy that gets eaten like through a tire or whatever like sits on the tire like a dumbass and gets like sucked down or he like sits in the tire and like you gotta get up higher and then the worm sucks him oh that's right yeah 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 he was he was kind of but he had well, one I feel redeeming. like he was a victim of circumstance I mean because even when that artist mom and her daughter went up on their roof like they were getting fucked with pretty hard too because the worm whatever for whatever reason is becoming vindictive like, I, <laughs> like it's, it's like gaining like higher sentience about the situation as time goes on it just seems a little ridiculous it got smarter though that's what it I, does get smarter that's true but not smart enough to avoid a concrete wall I don't know. Could it sense the concrete wall? Probably not. You know? Yeah. No, probably not. But that was, that was my favorite worm kill. I thought that was that was funny because, like, you know, they're running, they're running. They're like, oh, shit, a ditch. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the fucking 
but also good good plot use because yeah. we, we see them walk past that ditch yeah. earlier in the in the scene and you don't think anything of it and then they're running back and you're not thinking anything of it again and then boom Solid they already established it yeah okay so with the lens that I had on, I was I'm missing things like this. That's why I had so to rewatch I, it several is, times so as an I'm, adult I'm to being catch these prejudice things. against it's this movie. You need to rewatch it okay. with, with a little more of an open mind with how good it is. It's it's just when I look at the Tremors collection as a whole, I think of like Sharknado, which is why I don't watch the other ones. Like okay. I'm intentionally avoiding the other ones because this is such a good movie, and when you get rid of the duo of of Val and Earl. I'm just it's not a, interested yeah. anymore. Yeah. Sure. It's like doing Dude, Where's My Car without Ashton Kutcher right, and, with, with, and fucking Sean William Scott. But it's even worse, though. It'd be like doing it with just Sean William Scott. You're like, oh, your God. buddy's gone. Like, oh. And that's what they did with the second one. Uh, uh, Kevin Bacon wasn't in the second one. It was like, you're he, ruining it for me if you, you're telling me that the storyline goes to where he they does, stop being buddies after this. He does come back for another one. The sure. most re- I heard the most recent one that came out. I've heard some people say it was actually kind of good, but I'm just... I can't do it. I can't ruin the illusion of them riding off from the sunset still being buds. Very big buddy movie connoisseur. You know what it was? He was in the uh, he was in the television series. Really? Yeah, he was. He reprised his role in the pilot episode, but right, it was a cameo, basically. Right? Yeah, it was yeah. like a cameo. That makes sense. And, and again, and, uh, to get really into the swing of things, I'm going to stop calling them worms, and I'm going to start calling them graboids. Graboids, yes. Which is, I, I apologize to the audience. They are graboids. I don't mean I to... I should have said something, too. Yeah. yeah well, thank... I mean, you know... After mentioning Walter, too, he named he named the Graboids. So, this is one of those rare movies that doesn't have, like, military involvement and shows what a small, you know, like, town might actually do mm-hmm. in this type of situation. How would you go about eradicating the worms? Because they tried bombs, they tried guns, they tried Wiley Coyote Roadrunner-type situations, <laughs> like... Which were pretty effective. I mean, you know, like, south of, like, painting a cave on a wall and, like, them running through it and the graboid running into the wall after they've run through it. That's For what that, they were working with, I mean, they it's did hard all right. to imagine really any... Doing any better. Especially because yeah. every time they did it, the next time it wouldn't work. Like, the same technique wouldn't work, so you had to continue to get creative, so... It's true. They, they had were, a they were couple pretty, of tries. They were pretty adaptive. I mean, you know, and that's... I kind of want to watch, like, the, the other ones just to see where else they can go with it. But they're, they're like, not graboids in the other ones, though, right? Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, the second, maybe the third one, like, they were flying. And it was like, those aren't even, like, well, they're not even doing this anymore. Well, it's it's evolution. Okay. First off. So, uh, so okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of plausible, given how fast they learn and all that shit. Right. So I, I can kind of make my peace with that. But, I mean, I mean, you know... You're gonna run out of shit. How how many avenues are there gonna be? But it's not like Jurassic Park though, where there's like a lot of dinosaurs or like an existing park or something. Like I don't know why that even needed. I mean, I guess there are some people that are watching it, which is why they've made like several ones. But I thought that was that was it. And and, and do and, they all take place in perfection? You know what I mean? Like, I do they not spread know. elsewhere? Um, is there a reason? Like maybe like an origin story, which I'm sure one of. If not, Where several they come of them from? start going into that, which maybe would be kind of like something interesting. Also, the cover is very misleading. <laughs> With like, the, what is it like a big like huge, huge fucking jaw. teeth? Like, yeah, and yeah. Crazy like, it and looks then nothing when you, like the actual thing. right, which look like sock puppets, and that's why it's cheesy to me because like they're just like kind of flopping around. <laughs> you can tell it's, they it's, had to utilize a lot of like close ups and shit to like make yeah. it a little more. I don't know how they got away with that horse scene too, because there at one point there is you can tell it's a real alive yeah. horse that's laying on the ground and they're fucking with it in some way. Like I want to see the, the disclaimer that says no animals, no are, animals harmed are harmed in this movie because yeah. that that feels a little hard to believe. Maybe not physically, but psychologically, <laughs> uh, they were harmed. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, for me, like I I would probably try to corral them all in one place. Okay. Yeah, and and do something or like I I like the idea of a of a mine, but I also feel like I, it would they would like cave it in on me. I don't know. Like, I wonder how deep they could go. I don't know if they ever explored like what their digging capabilities were either. Well, but. I think for the same reason why they go to the rocks because uh-huh. you know because they can't like go above the ground really. Right. Um, for whatever I think maybe they're photosensitive. Okay. Being that they're subterranean. But, like, yeah, the the strata at some point, like, the soil stops, so I think they may have... Because they're soft bodies. 
Right. So I think that they really just mostly hang out in the topsoil. Okay, uh, so, that so makes I, sense. I don't know. I think maybe at most of 100 feet or so. So, like, if they did come across a mine, they'd be stoked on it. So maybe if, you know, like corralling them in and then like, you know, you feed them a goat every so often or something. Okay. So just, you want to catch them. them? Yeah. Oh yeah. I want to okay. catch them and like not hang out with them per se. See, now there's another, there's a Jurassic Park angle, you know, like a graboid, like kind of like park. Yeah. I would definitely check that out. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, that would be the biggest tourist attraction ever for perfection. For perfection, yeah. <laughs> literally anything could yeah. be at that point. Right, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. Well, and that's why Walter wants the he buys the tentacle for fifteen bucks. Yeah, and I guess like in in, in nineteen ninety, like that was that was kind of a steal. Oof. Because I'm like, steal. oh, that's like that's a pack true. of cigarettes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's yeah, like, exactly. Right. <laughs> I just worked forty five minutes. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this this is another reason why Tremors is great, and it's I think it's a, kind of a dying theme, but I, I think. The reason that one of the reasons that Tremors is so great and why it's scary in a fun way is it reminds me a lot of like Jaws or like Jurassic Park, the originals, where the real fear was in not being able to see what was coming and you just kind of have this tension all the time. And I think Jurassic Park is the biggest example of like they totally got rid of that concept because the first movie was so much fucking scarier than all the other ones because you never knew where the dinosaur is lurking at, right? And now it's like CGI, they're shooting guns at dinosaurs and stuff. Dinosaurs are so cool, so, like, I, they can get away with it to an extent, but, like, Charmers is, like, you know, on ground kind of jaws of, like, you know, you, it feels peaceful, but, like, you know, at any moment, like, motherfuckers, like, coming for you, so, like... Sure. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's true. That's, a, that's a good observation. I mean, it definitely does hold the tension in that respect. I've just been desensitized so hard. That, that makes sense. Like, you know, like, thrillers like that don't do it for me anymore. In, the, in, like, the scary factor. You know what I mean? Like, so that's why I look at it more of a comedy movie. See, but when you do that, though, is that Tremors is a character-based movie. Yeah. Like, the characters are so good, and they establish characters so well in the beginning that you care, and even if it's not terrifying at all times, you feel tension and you care about the characters. Sure. And that's what I love about it. Like, you're actually... Like, what are you guys going to do? Like, your characters yeah. are interesting. I want to well, see the, how you handle this scenario. Like, when Val and Earl fall off of their horses, like, I, that, that, then I, I was actually in that scene. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, like, it's like falling off a fucking boat in right. Jaws. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. kind of fucked. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great observation. That's very true. Love Tremors. You should rewatch it. I will rewatch it. And, you know, I'm gonna, I may not watch the series, but I'm going to at least watch Tremors 2. And then I think the most recent one, just to kind of see how far it's come. Hopefully, I don't need a lot of context, but if I do, I'll just read some synopses. Or because it's not like you can go on Netflix and watch all the Tremors movies. Yeah. Like I had to do one of those websites where like you have to close an ad every five minutes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you let me know how those are because I sure I will refuse to watch them. Okay. Well, I, I will <laughs> definitely do that. Hannah, what's your upcoming comedy schedule? I know you you do mics and stuff. Did you do PFP? I already did PFP. Noise. I will not be returning. <laughs> That's okay. No, yeah. I mean, it's my second year. I'm not stressed. I actually, over the winter, I took a pretty long hiatus from comedy. I'm, like, really just now trying to get back into it. So I don't have the upcoming things. I do frequent a lot of the same open mics, though. So, I, I mean, yeah, my I see you here at my father's place. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Haymaker on Thursdays. Heck yeah. Firkin and Suki's on Tuesdays. Nice. And then, uh, you know, sometimes Kelly's on Sundays. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I've been wanting to on Thursdays, because you can do four mics, I think, on Thursdays. There's Dante's, there's Turn, 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 uh -huh. Haymaker, and or no, maybe no, it's and Sunday. There, no, there's Kelly's again. Kelly's again, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Hey, uh, Hannah, thank you so much for joining me. How about we hit this mic? Let's do it. Tight. Cool. You know, by the end of my convo with Hannah and after reading more about the development of the film, Tremors has kind of started to win me over. The first one. We'll see how far I venture into this now seven-parter with a series on top. This week's water cooler facts has to do with how subterranean creatures actually maneuver down there and what exactly is going on beneath our feet at any given moment. What you're most likely to encounter when overturning a rock is a variety of insects and invertebrates such as roly-polies and earthworms, but what about the various animals of a higher order that are lurking down below? 
Well, first, before we get our tinfoil hats out, let's look at some actual science, in this case, geology, which is the study of the Earth and its composition. The Earth itself is made up of four main layers, the crust, mantle, outer core, and inner core, along with transition zones between these layers. The world we know lies on tectonic plates making up the Earth's crust, which varies in thickness from 3 miles to over 40. Beneath the crust lies the mantle, the layer of rock making up 84% of the Earth's volume. The crust layer is made up of its own sublayers, including the organic layer where creepy crawlies and crops live, the topsoil, subsoil, parent material like loose rocks and such, and then the bedrock. Bedrock layers in the United States can range anywhere between 200 centimeters or 80 inches in depth and 700 centimeters or 275 inches in depth. To put that in more American terms, between 6.5 and, and 23 feet roughly. Now, I bring that up because the graboids can only really operate in that depth range or above, being that they're soft bodies and certainly can't dig through hard stone, as we saw when Val and Earl tricked them into a concrete wall. But we don't really know what lives deep within the Earth. I mean, there have been numerous deep Earth excursions, most notably the Kola Super Deep Borehole, which is the deepest man-made hole on Earth and deepest artificial point on Earth as well. The 40,230-foot deep or 7.5-mile borehole is so deep that locals swear you can hear the screams of souls tortured in hell. It took the Soviets almost 20 years to drill this far, but the drill bit was only about a third of the way through the crust to the Earth's mantle when the project came grinding to a halt in the chaos of post-Soviet Russia. Before that, in 1990, the German Continental Deep Drilling Program began in Bavaria and eventually drilled down to 5.6 miles. Nothing to scoff at, either. Current expeditions are set to continue ambitious projects from the 1950s and 60s to drill through the Earth's crust near the bottom of the ocean, where the mantle is just a little bit thinner. Japan, the US, and German engineers are involved in that project, which is slated to cost in the tens of billions of dollars. Hey, not like we have a ton of major issues above sea level that we could be considering instead, but why the fuck not find out what's going on down there? What these deep drill expeditions did ultimately find out is that there aren't graboids or mole people or even transdimensional aliens down there, but rather a lot of bacteria and archaea, 70% of the Earth's supply to be exact. And they live in low nutrient levels of the mantle, which goes through cycles that are hundreds of years in the making, creating an incredibly stable environment for various bacteria to thrive and survive. UniverseToday.com has a fascinating article that elaborates further on this concept and more. Definitely check that out if geology is like, your thing, or whatever. Closer to the surface, no deeper than 4 feet, you'll find a wide variety of rodents and burrowing mammals, not to mention all of the insects and invertebrates down there among the tree roots and fungi. In fact, the deepest burrowing animal may come as a surprise, being that the Nile crocodile has been recorded as digging dens up to 39 feet deep. Which goes to show that the sandier the location, the easier it is to dig. Which is what we see in Tremors, so... Good job on keeping it real and not having these creatures digging down hundreds of feet below the surface. Besides, Rhonda's seismograph wasn't looking too top of the line, even for 1990. Suffice to say that you never know what's squishing neath your toes, and remember, the Earth is like super old and stuff, so the layers upon layers, aka the sediment layers of time, all tell the super long story, but not the whole story, you know, because of plate tectonics and magma. Isn't geology fascinating? Hey, if you're in the Portland area and want to see some really cool rocks and stuff, check out the Rice Northwest Museum of Rock and Minerals in Hillsboro, Oregon, out west on Highway 26. I granite tea you'll have a fun time learning about geodes, strata, and our local geologic features. Really bringing in the science and science factual this episode. I hope that piqued your other nerd sensibilities. <laughs> I'd like to take the time to acknowledge the sources for this week's episode, which include imdb.com, arstechnica.com, Wikipedia, of course, usgs.gov, that's the United States Geological Survey, bbc.com, sciencefocus.com, and screenrant.com. I'm super stoked for next week's episode, as we'll be taking aim at the Peacemaker television series with one of the funniest people I know, Adam Posse. We're also going to get into his Suicide Squad sequel appearance, 
that's Peacemaker, not Adams, as well as his comic book origins. We haven't tackled a DC property since I talked with Jake Silverman about Watchmen for episode 17, so it's nice to be back. But I do get asked all the time whether I'm going to be dipping a toe into the Marvel Universe or not, or any other publisher for that matter. It's true, so far I've only ever covered DC properties with guests, but that will all change in season 2 of Science Factual. I have the rest of this season finally mapped out, so in the meantime, I promise you I will be bringing you the facts behind some awesome sci-fi staples for the rest of this season, including an extra spooky Halloween month planned out. You can catch all those awesome episodes each and every Tuesday from 8 to 9 a.m. only on Shady Pines Radio. You can download the Shady Pines Radio app for 24-7 content wherever it is that you procure your apps. I guarantee you it's worth it. How's about before we mosey on out of perfection, we check in on Hannah one last time as she delivers the funny at the Helium Comedy Club with her set from the Portland's Funniest Person competition. I reckon we oughta. Uh, so like something that like I've been thinking about a lot lately that like kind of drives me crazy is that like after like all this time that is like past, there are still so many people that are pronouncing it Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> like we all know it's pronounced Pokemon, okay? Like it's been like 20 years. Let it go. It's here to stay, okay? Like it takes more effort to go out of your way to pronounce it Pokemon or what I call like the Terrence Howard pronunciation, Pokemon, you know. <laughs> I'm glad you guys knew what Terrence Howard is. If you didn't know, I wasn't gonna describe him. You would've just missed out on a really solid joke. Um, <laughs> I don't know though, you know, like I feel like if you're like still calling it Pokemon, it's like hanging out outside of Disneyland and being like, oh, you wanna go see Mickey Moose? Like. <laughs> Like, Pokemon's like a staple now, okay? Like, are we gonna act like not that long ago kids and adults alike weren't just like wandering into busy intersections to catch digital Pokemon on their phones? You know, like, you're gonna pretend like if you own a fucking holographic Charizard card, that shit isn't worth like thousands of dollars? Maybe you guys don't collect Pokemon cards. That's, that's cool, like, you know. <laughs> I'm fine. Are there at least like a couple people in here that are like familiar with like the game or the show a little bit? Okay. Okay. This next bit's for you guys. The rest of you, maybe take a break from calling a fucking Pokemon for a second and find out what all the hype is about. Uh, I don't know. The, the show is always confusing to me, you know, because like they would like, you know, at age 10, you were ready to go off on your own without your parents to become a Pokemon master, right? I'm just not sure that's like old enough because like if I sent my 10 year old daughter off to become a Pokemon master right now, like I don't think she would make it out of eyesight. You know what I mean? Like I'd be like waving by, she takes like three steps in the tall grass and just call fucking Pidgey picks her up and just carries her into the distance. And all you think of that happened, like the Pidgeys take her back to like their hideout, right? You know, and like they feel bad for her. They raise her as one of their own and she's not seen for like several years, right? Until like years later, like rumors start to spread that there's this young woman deep in the forest, and if you find her, she teaches you the HM fly, which uh, <laughs> once you reach a certain level, it makes it a little easier to traverse from city to city. So, you know, uh, so I don't know if it's just me, uh, but I've noticed that when I uh, when I go into the bathroom to take a shower, like the conditions are normal, right? You know, and like I step into the shower everything's fine, right? But when I go to close the shower curtain, the wind speeds in the bathroom pick up to like 400 fucking miles an hour <laughs> in the bathroom. Yeah, uh, maybe, you, maybe a lot of you have like a walk-in shower. That's fine. You're not gonna enjoy the rest of this then. Uh, <laughs> you know, but like, I'm not interested in like the science of like why this happens though, you know? Like, I'm not, I'm just not interested. It's kind of like the one area where like I level with like Trump supporters. Like, I'm just not interested in the science or the facts behind it, you know? <laughs> I just like feel how I feel and I'm gonna post about it on Facebook. That's just, 
how I feel about it, you know? Because, like, I don't know, you get in the shower, the wind's blowing, the shower curtain starts sticking to, like, every part of your body. It ironically won't stick to the wall that you're trying to seal it up against. You know? So, like, you're smart, and you're thinking, like, it probably just needs to be wet, right? But, like, you're in the shower, you have to, like, collect that water, right? <laughs> so, like, you, like, cup your hands together, you know, or maybe, like, hold it against your body, and then you have to, like, throw it, right? Like... <laughs> Like, like throw the water at the wall. And you know like 90% of that water isn't even making it to the wall. And the 10% that is, is probably just going outside of the bathtub, like flooding your downstairs neighbor's apartment, you know? I have so much more on showers. I'm glad you guys are on board. I don't know who else in this competition is bringing the shower material like I am, you know what I mean? Like. Like this is heavy, heavy shower stuff. So, so like, let's say, let's say you get the wall sealed up, right? Then like, like there's still like that little corner spot that'll stay open and you can like feel the air. And if you're like anything like me, a fucking like lunatic, like you're willing to risk your life to get that little corner spot closed, right? Like I'm like no bath mat, like one, one foot just trying to like push the, you know, push it down with like my toe. And then, you know, say you get the side sealed up, right? Then, like, the wind's still blowing, like, the middle of the shower curtain on you. So maybe you think that you take, like, a shampoo bottle or something and set it on the ledge. But if that shampoo bottle is anything less than, like, 95% full, it's just not heavy enough to withstand the gale force winds fucking blowing into your fucking shower. And, like, every time I do that bit, I always have someone come up to me after, and they're like... You know they have magnets for that shit, right? <laughs> I'm like, stop, stop fucking ruining this for me, okay? <laughs> All right, I'm Hannah SK. Thanks, guys. Star 